singing. Take your Bibles tonight and turn to James chapter 1 tonight. Book of James. I love this book. It's often been called the Proverbs of the New Testament. It has a lot of powerful statements. And I'm so thankful for the Word of God. Five chapters in this book. And just because it's small doesn't mean it's not been greatly used of God. I know it's been greatly used in my life. If you want to do something, I think it would probably help you. It's helped me take a chapter every day throughout the week, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and read it for a month. It'll really help you in understanding the book of James. James chapter 1, starting in verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, my brethren, Count it all joy, and you fall into divers' temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the opportunity to have church on a Sunday night southwest Florida. There's many places, many churches have decided to close their doors. Many places where they cannot have services for one reason or another. But Lord, while there is an opportunity, help us to take the responsibility and to hold services and to preach your word so that sinners might be saved and, and the saints may be edified and encouraged. I pray God that you would do again a work that I cannot do, that you speak to the, the people here gathered to here tonight that you would speak to their hearts through your word and through your spirit, that you would do a mighty work and you'd help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, about the age of seven, I started having growing pains. Remember those? I'd lie in the bed and my legs would just ache. And I'd go up and I'd say, Mom, my legs are hurting. She'd say, Son... That's just growing pains. Go back to bed. I'd say, go, I'd get back out of the bed and I'd say, Mom, my legs are hurting. You got to give, give me something. Give me something. She'd say, Son, I can't give you anything for it, really. You just need to go back to bed. And a lot of times in life, we go through growing pains, not just physically, but spiritually. And as we look at this, this book, this book of James, this and we introduce ourselves to it, as we ask some questions, we begin to grow in our understanding of the Word of God. Tonight we're going to ask the question, who is James? To whom is this letter written? Why was the letter written? And what in the world can we learn from this book? First of all, who is James? You say, well, it's just James, right? Well, if you to come to my house on Thanksgiving and say, James... You'd have had my dad say, I'm here. You'd have had my uncle say, I'm here. You'd have had my grandpa say, I'm here. And he'd say, me, I'm here. All of us were named James. And just because you say James doesn't mean it's the right James. And actually, in the scriptures, we find four men whose name we find is the name James. Of course, we probably the most popular is James, the son of Zebedee, you know, uh, the sons of thunder, brothers of the brother of John. This was the first disciple to give his life to Christ, as Dr. Crabb mentioned this morning in his morning sermon. In Acts chapter 12, he died 
serving the Lord under King Herod. But also there was a James, the son of Alphaeus, who's mentioned in Matthew chapter 10, who is a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Another disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ was James, the father of Judas, the disciple. He was known as the son of James to distinguish himself from Judas the Iscariot. But the James of this Bible scripture is James, the half-brother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's believed to be the eldest brother of Jesus. Growing up, James had brothers and sisters. And of course, as we read in Matthew chapter 13, 55, the Bible says, is this not the carpenter's son? Is this not his mother called Mary and his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? So don't believe the lie that Mary didn't have any other kids. She did. The Bible says in verse 56, And his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence hath this man all things? But Jesus said unto him, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country, in his own house. For some reason, we don't know exactly why, Jesus' brothers and sisters did not believe in Jesus Christ initially. And I was reading different commentaries, and their reasoning is because Christ, though perfect, was so common. He was so common that they missed him. And the Bible says when he went back to Nazareth, they saw this young man who was the carpenter's son doing things that he had always done. Now he was older, and they look at him and they say, this is Jesus, the carpenter's son. How can this be the Messiah? How can this be the Christ? And that makes sense to me, because growing up in the South, Christ was common to me. In every house I went to in Greenville, South Carolina, there's a picture of Jesus and Elvis, but definitely, but definitely a picture of Jesus. And when I was a kid, my parents, my grandparents would say, now, Jesus is watching you, and I would try to hide. You know, because when, it, when it's a picture, they're all, it's always looking at you. When you go here, it's looking at you. You go there, it's looking at you. The picture's always looking at you. So I knew I was bad because Jesus was always watching me. I was trying to get out of the gaze of Jesus, so I had to go to another room, actually. But in every house in the South, Jesus' picture was up. And there was always Scripture. There was the Word of God. It was everywhere. In the county of Greenville, South Carolina, there was 300 Baptist churches. So everybody knew Jesus, though everybody certainly didn't know Jesus. But he was common. Jesus was so common that I didn't even accept him until I was 17 years of age. Because he was common. And he was common to James and Joseph and Simon and Judas so much that they missed him. But later on, Paul refers to James in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 9. He writes, and when James, the half-brother of Jesus, and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars. Interesting enough, in the Gospels, it's always Peter, James, and John. But now Paul says, is James, the half-brother of Jesus, and Cephas and John. And order of names has great significance. In Acts chapter 12, when Peter is delivered from prison, he writes a special message to James. In Acts chapter 15, James moderates the church conference. In Acts chapter 21, James gives a love offering to Paul from the Gentiles. 
And it is believed by church history that James was martyred for his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in 62 AD. The Pharisees took him out and they hated him so much they cast him out of the temple and beat him to death. And it is said the last words of James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Just like Jesus. That's the person of James. But what about his position? He describes himself in this verse, James, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you think, if you were the half-brother of Jesus, you would say, hey, I'm the half-brother of Jesus, hey! Or you'd say, hey, I'm the son of Mary. You know Mary? You, you know Mary? Mary in the Bible? Mary? You'd think he'd describe himself like that, but he doesn't. In fact, he says, I'm a servant. I'm just a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is said by Matthew Henry, though James is called by the evangelist, the brother of our Lord, yet it was his glory to serve Christ in the spirit rather than to boast of his being a relative according to the flesh. He got what Jesus was preaching through his ministry. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 11, Jesus said, but he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. James got it. He was a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who this James was. But who do you write it to? The Bible says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Well, he's writing these to Jews. The Jews of Israel made up, of course, if you remember your history, they made up of the 10 northern tribes which were captured and literally destroyed by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. But to the southern tribes of Benjamin and Judah in 522 B.C., they were defeated by the Babylonians. And actually, this was prophesied by, by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 27. Moses wrote on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, And the Lord shall scatter you among the nations, and you shall be left few in number among the heathen, where the Lord shall lead you. This was just Jewish people. These were his brothers and sisters in Christ. Nineteen times. In the book of James, James says, my brethren are brethren. So he was writing to his brothers and sisters in Christ. And because you and I believe that the word of God is providentially preserved in a real sense, he's writing to us too, isn't he? He's writing to us so we can learn and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we see who he is, we see who he's writing to, but the question is tonight, why is he writing this letter? Why is James actually writing this letter? Well, first of all, we see the church was struggling with problems. The church has always struggled with problems because the church is filled with people. We all have problems, don't we? Christians that were scattered throughout the land were going through persecutions. No, not the persecutions of the Babylonians or the persecutions of the Assyrians, but the persecutions of the Romans. Great persecution there was. And because many of these Christians have possibly been under James and his pastoral rulership, many of them were had fled because of 
because of trouble and difficulty. They fled their families, and he wanted to write a letter to them to encourage them and to help them and to strengthen them in the way. And folks, all of us need encouragement, don't we? These great, this, great, this great epistle, this general epistle of James is a great encouragement to brothers and sisters in Christ. But not only did he write to these discouraged Christians who were going through persecution, he wrote because there was divisions in the church. There was divisions between the worldly rich and the poor. There was division, divisions between those who held teaching positions in the church. The church was experiencing problems with believers who professed a life of Christ but had no works to back it up. Hence, you read James chapter 2, James chapter 1, James chapter 2. Not only that, the church experienced problems with believers who were struggling with worldliness. They were struggling with worldliness so much that they almost lost their testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. What did all this really stem from? All this stemmed from the problem of immaturity. It stemmed from immaturity. James uses the word perfect several times in the epistle. James chapter 1 verse 4, as I read, but let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Perfect doesn't mean sinless. The word perfect here means to be complete and to, and to be mature. All of us, hopefully in life, get to the place where we're growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. I received this Bible that I have in my hands here on May, if I can remember right, the 24th, 1989, by my assistant pastor, Chuck Colfax. It's a little worse for wear, but I've kept it, tried to keep it on the shelf and not use it so much because it was the first Bible that I received as a born-again Christian. And I, as, I, as I looked at that date, and I thought of myself at 17 years of age when I got this Bible and how different my life is. Yeah, my name is still Marty Moon. I don't live on 301 Fairhaven Drive, Taylor, South Carolina, 29687. I live in a different place. And yes, I'm a, I was a Christian then, and I'm a Christian now. But thankfully, by the grace of God, no, I'm not what I should be. But by the grace of God, I'm not what I used to be. And I pray and hope that each one of us can say and look back at times in our life, maybe through a Bible or through a devotional book or through something that you've written down and you said, by the grace of God, there's been mile markers in my life where I used to struggle with this or I used to fight with this or I used to have a problem in this area. But by the grace of God and through his word and through his spirit, my life's been changed. I've grown. I've grown. See, the church has responsibility of glorifying God by evangelizing sinners and edifying the saints. But sometimes we act like small children and while the world is going to hell, we squabble like little kids. Warren Wiersbe, the great late Warren Wiersbe said, after a quarter century of ministry, I am convinced that, the spiritual that spiritual maturity is the number one problem in our churches. I am convinced that spiritual maturity is the number one problem in our churches. That's why 
in this book of James, 50 times, James gives an imperative. That is a command. He's saying to them, do this, do that. He's giving them commands to instruct them, to encourage them, to help them see their need to change in their life. Remember growing up, you'd get commands from your, from your, from your parents. They'd tell you, wash your hands before, you know, wash your hands after you go, you know. They'd say, brush your teeth. They would say, do this. They would say, do that. And you would listen. And if you didn't listen, you'd usually get in trouble. One of, the, one, of the, one of the greatest things that I heard growing up was from my parents and from my coaches and from everybody around us was respect your elders. How many of you heard that growing up? Respect your elders. The day I took my driving test, I failed it. But the lady let me pass. All because the whole time I was taking my test, I said to her, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. I actually, when I was doing my parallel parking, I pulled up on the curb. And she looked at me and she said, son, just park this car. But she said, because you are so respectful and I appreciate your manners, I'm going to pass you. I could almost kiss that lady. I didn't. I, I knew I'd failed. And I knew I had to go tell all my friends back at school, I failed, I failed, and I failed, and I knew they were going to laugh at me. But I got, I didn't get a lot when I was young, but I got the fact that I needed to say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, to any adult that I came across. Folks, all throughout life, God is trying to tell us, do this and do that. Go here. Be this. And to the degree we'll obey and listen to God and His Word and through His Spirit, we will grow and we'll be, we'll be used of God in a greater way. But the question is, will we grow? What can we learn from this? If we're going to be perfect and entire, how do we actually go through this process of growth? But if I'm going to grow spiritually, first I have to realize that I'm a, I'm a Christian. You see, a lot of people are still struggling with the fact, am I saved or not saved? Here at the Christian, our Christian school, Gospel Baptist Christian School, we want to do our dead level best to educate our kids in reading, writing, and arithmetic. But bigger than that, we want to make sure that every young person, every child, whether they be in K-3 or 12th grade, they hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the grace of God, they've accepted him as their personal Savior. Because I know that they're going to forget English. Some of them forget English. And some of them are going to forget math. And they're going to, trust me, they're going to forget algebra. Don't listen, students. But more than anything, I want them to know the Lord. In the last two weeks, we've been, I've been emphasizing again the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do this throughout the whole year. But again, we emphasize, whether Chris, the teachers, all of us are emphasizing the gospel. And this is last two weeks, I've had two students come out of the blue and say, I want to be saved. I want to be saved. Nothing encourages my heart than seeing young folks who don't just hear about the gospel, but they want to respond to the gospel. And how important is, is it for all of us to know that we know that we know that Jesus Christ is our Savior. The Bible says, he that hath the Son hath life, but he that hath not the Son of God hath not 
life. Secondly, not only must we be sure of our own salvation, secondly, we must realize and expect trials and tests to help us grow in life. Now, who likes a test? (laughs) You like a test? You like a trial? None of us do. Actually, when I was was studying this this sermon and and working on uh, this series of sermons, because I knew I was going to be teaching and preaching while pastor was gone, the day I was working on these things, I had to go see my, uh, uh, my accountant in, in, uh, in, in uh, Cape Coral. And the day that I went, my, my, my car died at a free place of battery. My AC died. And after that, my accountant told me I owed a whole lot more money than I thought. And I said, God, you're trying to teach me something, right? You're trying to teach me through these trials what I must learn. Because he says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall in temptations. But who counts it joy when your AC goes off when it's 102 degrees outside? Do you say, yay? Give me some more heat. When you get a flat tire or get a, a nail or a screw in your tire as you do around here, do you just jump up for joy? Do you get excited? Do you, put it, you, you post it on Facebook and call all your friends? Hey, I just got a flat tire. No, you don't do any of those things. Bible says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. God is allowing these things in my life to help me grow in my relationship with Christ. But if I don't take it right, if I don't accept it, if I get mad at God, if I get upset with God, if I blame from God, I'm not learning and I'm not growing. In fact, I'm getting back, I'm going back. How am I responding to the tests and the trials that God allows in my own life? Am I doing it with, to learn patience so that I can be perfect or entire? Or am I responding with anger and frustration and bitterness? It's not going to help me. And it's not going to help others that I minister to. About two years ago, I started taking my daughter, Alethea, on driving. And I picked out this little safe, safe parking lot where she could just go drive round and round and round. I wanted to drive my car. I wanted her to just have a safe place to drive. But for the last year, my mother's been taking her driving, and that's been good. It's been good for me, at least. She's been taking her driving. But this last Monday on Memorial Day, I said, we've got to go down to Publix. We've got to get, get a few things for Memorial Day before we eat. And she said, I'll drive. I thought to myself, okay, I'll go with you. And everything was great. We almost died only twice. (laughs) But you know what? She's gotten a whole lot better than she was when she was driving around that parking lot, going round and round and round. And the same thing is true in life. If we take what God is doing in our life and accept it and grow. We take what we we know is right and applying it to our life and do that which is right, it's going to change our life. So we must recognize the fact that we are saved. We must expect, expect tests and trials in our life to help us to grow. And thirdly, we must be doers of the word and not hearers only. As we read in James chapter 1, verse 22, you see, hearing the word 
believing the word and obeying the word produces change in our life. I hear the word. I must believe the word. And then I must obey the word. How many of you, when you first heard you need to read your Bible, thought, read this whole book? <laughs> you, mean, you mean read it all the way through? You mean in one year? I mean, some of you, this would be like a, a life. <laughs> it's not a life. It's not just a year reading. I, I read this book, and uh, some people are just not great readers. And, and, and you struggle. You say, I, I gotta, I'm reading this whole thing and, and once a year. I'm reading three chapters a day or four chapters a day to make it happen. But as you know, see the need to read it, and you believe that you need to read it, and you obey fact that you need to read it because God's word commands it. Then you gain hope and you gain confidence and it encourages you to do it. And not only does it encourage you to do it, you share that with other people because you're successful in it. That's why it's so important to obey and do what God wants us to do on a regular, on a regular basis because we get in the right habit. And as we get in the right habit of doing those things which are right, we gain confidence in the Word. And as we gain confidence in the Word, we grow in the Lord. And that's true in so many areas. It's true in witnessing. It's true in sharing your faith. Man, you say, well, man, yes, good for you. you. You got two degrees in Bible. Every time I go out and share the Word of God, I get scared. I'm, I'm afraid they're going to ask some question that I is no way possible I'm going to have to I'm gonna have an answer to. And sometimes they do. And sometimes I have to say, hey, I don't have an answer. I have to get back to you with that. But you know what? Whether you have a degree in Bible or no degree in Bible, when you stand before somebody and you share your faith, it's sometimes it's not easy. But as you go and share the Word of God, because you are commanded to go and share the Word of God, you gain confidence in sharing the Word of God, and you grow in sharing the Word of God. You say, well, does it work? Yeah. Just today, I met a lady that we witnessed to and visited two years ago this last month. She came out, and I saw her. I remember the day that Mike and I went to her house in San Carlos Park, knocked on her door. It was the last house. I remember it was hot, and I just wanted to go home, but I saw that last house that we missed the first pass through, and I said to Micah, we got go, to go to that house one more time. We knocked on the door. We said, we're from Gospel Baptist Church. And the lady said, I've been looking for a church. I'm glad you came today. What if I said, no, you know, it's, I, 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 let's not do this. Or man, it, it's too high. Or no, let's just, let's don't. Man, we have all the reasons in the world not to obey what God wants us to do. But when we know what's right, and we believe what's right, and we do what's right, we grow in our relationship with God. But what changed James? You say, well, James went from someone who was unbelieving when he was a youth to someone who was believing. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 5, that he was seen of Cephas and of twelve, and after that he was seen above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain at this present, but some are fallen asleep. And after that, he was seen of James, and then all the apostles. Remember, 
James was raised up with Jesus. He went through a period of unbelief. But after Jesus Christ was crucified, buried, rose again the third day, he spent 40 days on this earth ministering to his disciples, to others. And he particularly went to his half-brother, James. And James, who I'm sure heard about Jesus through Mary and heard about it through friends and family, all these years, finally, not only saw Christ with his hands and his side, he believed in Christ. And his life was totally different. Because he went from that which he believed, with that which he, he heard of, to that which he totally believed in. And his life was different. When I was growing up in South Carolina and newly saved, I knew the importance of witnessing to my family. And man, I did everything I could to get, try to get my family in church. Because the preacher would say, encourage your family to get in church. They need to be here. The problem was I was preaching at them instead of loving them and praying for them. And because of that, that totally caused them to flee anything I had to say about Jesus. And actually, some of my family said they liked me before, liked who I was before I was a Christian. That was a great hurt in my life. But just about a few years ago, one of my relatives came back down, and they were struggling in their, in their Christian life, and I made a decision consciously that I wasn't going to preach to them. I wanted to. Preacher Moon wanted to come out. I wanted to say, you need to change this. You need to do this. You need to change that. You need to go here. You need to stop doing that. But instead of doing that, I made a conscious decision that I was going to just pray for them and love them and spend time with them and have the best day possible with them. Two years later, that same relative texted me and said, thank you example of Jesus in my life. I say that to the glory of God because I failed a thousand times with my family and I'll probably fail again on the way home. But you know what folks? I realized I need to change. You see folks, I can't make anybody change. I can't change you. I can't change anybody. I can change me. And maybe God will you change me so that I can be a change in somebody else's life. The problem is we don't want to change, do we? We don't want to be different. But that's what God can do in our life. If we'll say, Lord Jesus, I see the areas in my life that really need to change, and I'm not just recognizing that there's needing, there's needs to be changed. I'm doing something about it consciously, and I'm going to change for you. Many of you made decisions this past year with revival with Bill Rice. Many of you made decisions with John O'Malley. Many of you have made decisions, and Pastor Lytell has been here. You've walked the aisles. You've made decisions here and in your seats. 
the changes that you wanted to make, you raised your hand, you came forward about, have you made those decisions in your life and have you implemented them in your life? Not just saying, I need to change, but have you come to the place in your life where you've said, I'm going to change? You see, folks, if we're going to reach a lost and dying world, if we're going to edify and encourage brothers and sisters in Christ, we're going to have to change and be Christ-like so we can reach them. They see not Marty Moon, because Marty Moon's not very pretty sometimes, but they see Christ in and through my life and in and through their life. I wonder tonight, are you going through some growing pains? One thing to grow through them physically, but are you going through some growing pains spiritually? What changes do you not just know you need to make, but what changes are you willing to make for Christ's sake? Thank you. Rick. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239 947 one two eight five. Thank you and God bless.